Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Tonight, Monday Night Football, two games for you with the Bills and the Titans kicking off at 6.15 Central, 7.15 Eastern, and then roughly uh, 30 to 45 minutes later in Philly, the Eagles and Vikings take place. So we'll see around halftime that game kick off on ABC and Titans Bills on ESPN. Koharski is going to join us live from Buffalo coming up with the latest news, notes, headlines, the scene setter, which right now the scene there is a complete cluster trying to get into the stadium. Um, it's not an easy stadium to get to if you've been to Buffalo, if you've been to Highmark Stadium or I believe that's what they're still calling it now. Um, it's one way in, one way out, at least from what I remember being there a few years back. And most of the recent matchups, the Bills have been here in Nashville. Um, Paul's going to join us from the stadium, though, over the next couple of hours. We'll preview this game in its entirety, in depth, and, and both matchups will tell you who will win and why. Chad, the, the biggest takeaway for me on the college weekend, and maybe this sounds odd because I think most people – would agree with this, but to the level I'm going to say it, Georgia is by far the best team in the country, and I don't think it's close. They don't have a ton of penalties. Alabama will allow you to stay in games longer. Their defense, if you want an example of how good their defense has been, I'd look to Oregon. Oregon mustered three points against Georgia's defense. 13 straight possessions the Oregon offense scored after playing Georgia that spanned seven quarters. And they beat BYU this weekend in a physical matchup. Watching Oregon as of late compared to what we saw them do against Georgia, to me, tells me more about what Georgia's capable of. They're a, more, they're a better team in like all caps. Last year, it was the defense that was so phenomenal and that allowed the offense... The perception was they weren't explosive, even though we saw in the, the college football playoff, they were. And Stetson Bennett came out of the shell, so to speak, then. This year, Stetson's a Heisman finalist right now, and he may be the favorite to win it. I mean, I don't know what the odds are right now at DraftKings. If they, to me, my vote would go to him based on how efficient he's been and how he and the, the entire offense has been leading the way the same manner that the defense has the last two years. They're that good. It's, it's crazy how the odds have not caught up with that because he's still pretty underwhelming underdog for the Heisman. And he's been terrific. He, he's been maybe the best player in college football. I, I don't get it. Georgia, I think it's great money right now. Georgia is um, heads and shoulders above everyone else right now. I, I completely agree. They also have the most tantalizing talent in all of football, Brock Bowers. He is the most surefire, sure-handed, great athlete, great player in, in the game in terms of you want to get the ball to someone, 
on third or fourth down in a big moment, I'm throwing it to that guy every time. They have inventive ways of getting him the ball. You don't see a lot of tight ends that you're trying to hand the ball off to and get it to them out in space. Brock Bowers can be that guy for you also. I was so thoroughly impressed with how thorough they were of dispatching South Carolina on the road so quickly. Stetson Bennett was throwing up early in that game on the sideline, and they're just dismantling. He's throwing up to start the game in Columbia, and with eight minutes remaining in the game, he's signing autographs for Georgia fans who made the trip with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter on the road in an SEC game. Taking selfies. I mean, just ridiculous how good this Georgia team is. Amazing how quickly Kirby Smart has got them to this point where, I mean, they're my favorite right now to repeat in college football, and I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Well, so Georgia, their run game has still not even caught rhythm yet. They haven't found their rhythm in their run game. That's how efficient they've been through the through the air. Uh, they now have 571 and 547 total yards in their Power 5 games this season. And those totals are higher than any total they posted last season offensively. This Again, this team, top to bottom, is better than the one last year. And this is the same team that had 15 players drafted in the NFL. That's absurd to me. Um, but it was going back, the best I could tell, and by the way, I think Georgia could have named their score. They could have won by 60 if they wanted to. But winning by 41, 48-7 is the final in South Carolina. It's the third largest margin that South Carolina has lost a conference game by, based on what I could find. They lost by 45 to A&M in the COVID season of 2020, and they lost to Florida 56-6 to in 2008. And again, this could have been unmerciful uh, based if, uh, if Georgia wanted it to be. And you could already argue it was. Spencer Rattler's bad. I don't want to completely judge him, though, based on what we saw against Georgia. Spencer Rattler will be judged on where South Carolina finishes in the pecking order of Missouri, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Kentucky. Yeah, where where are they in that? Um, yeah, can they beat? It, really, I think it's can can Spencer Rattler beat Kentucky or Tennessee? Yeah, well, and and I think it is fair to ask: Is Spencer Rattler the quarterback by the time they play those teams? Surely like, you know, he will be. He was awful. I mean, he he is awful <laughs> I to think start that, the year. I think George is going to make a number of quarterbacks look awful, but yes, it, that was my big question for South Carolina. Can he be the difference? Because yeah. a year ago, they threw out four guys and none of them were SEC caliber quarterbacks. So, okay, here's a guy who was last year's preseason Heisman Trophy favorite. He's got some talent. He showed some of it at Oklahoma before it went downhill. Can he be the difference? I think through three weeks, while their offense looked okay at Arkansas, when it was they were down a lot and they closed the gap a little bit, I'd say the answer that we've received is a resounding no. He's not going to be a huge difference uh, for, for South Carolina. By the way, Georgia's schedule the rest of the way, I mean, who's going to challenge them? At Kentucky. Uh, November, well, defense, yeah. November 19th. I mean, I mean I'm just I know. looking down the list. They get Tennessee at home. Tennessee did some things against that great defense here, but that game was not close. After Tennessee took a 7 nothing lead, it, was, it wasn't close from that point on. But they get Kent State at Missouri, Auburn at home, Vanderbilt at home. By week, they get Florida, Tennessee at home, at Mississippi State. I mean, at Kentucky. What it takes is Chad. really the one weird road trip I'm circling and saying. 
maybe they win by two or three touchdowns in that game and that's it? Well, but we were trying to play it up last year as best we could when two unbeaten teams met in Athens. And in Kentucky it, game a game for a half. For a half. Yeah. But that's how close it was. And the, basically, the same guys are back on offense minus Wondell Robinson going against that Georgia defense. And the Georgia offense is better going against the, the Kentucky defense, which is always very consistent. The thing about Georgia, though, is you go through their schedule. Like, If we did the same thing for Alabama, and granted we're going to have more SEC West teams that we're going to be putting them up against, and while it certainly doesn't happen this week against Vandy, where Vandy's, uh, what, a 41, 42-point underdog? They open as a 43-point underdog, but so, they, hey, s- smart money went in on the doors immediately because it's pushed it down to 40 from 43. A nice win for the doors on the road against Northern Illinois. Yeah, where well, they but, were down 28-7, and I thought it was about to be 35, or 28-14, I thought it was about to be 35-14. And here, here's the difference between Georgia and Bama, schedule-wise, aside from East versus West and all that. Alabama make some very just boneheaded mistakes that you normally don't see from a Saban coach team throughout the course of a year. We saw it early last year, and I thought they would you know, wean themselves off of the delay of game penalties. Or, I mean, for the longest time, the running joke was the refs don't call holding against Bama's offensive line because they Which, have it out for... And this, this takes place now, now on the regular. I, I will say... They should have called holding on the biggest play of Bama season because it was a clear hold okay. on Bryce Young's little breakout performance on the run against Texas that set up the, the game but winner. We're seeing but on the routine I, I know where double you're going digit with flags yes. and muff punts or whatever that you look around and you go, man, this, is, this allows teams to stay in it because you need, if you're going to compete with Georgia, Georgia has to allow you to stay around either by a, a big plague being called back because of an offensive penalty where you're, instead of gaining 43 yards, you back it up 15 for a, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, or you, you have a, a, a kickoff and a fumble that allows you a short field where you're able to cash it in. The same way A&M beat, them last, beat Bama last year, where you had to have it in every facet, and it still came down to a final drive where a quarterback stepped up and made some plays and you kick a game-winning field goal. That's, that's how you beat Georgia, but the problem is Georgia doesn't allow you that. That's the difference between the two. No, and I still, even with Alabama's issues right now, I still look at Alabama and the schedule ahead of them and the way other teams in the SEC are playing, and I think if they play like they did against Texas, Tennessee can beat them mm-hmm. in Knoxville. Certainly could happen. Would not predict that to happen. They'd have to play a bad game, and Tennessee would have to play well to, to win. But it is conceivable that Alabama could lose. I don't find it conceivable that Georgia's going to lose this regular season. I just don't. Now, sports have a funny way of sneaking up on us, and when we think something's a certainty, it's not. And then something weird happens. I just don't see it with Georgia. And we are now saying exactly what we thought in the preseason. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State put those three teams in a class to themselves and I think Georgia right now is in their own class. And then maybe it's Alabama, Georgia, I'm sorry, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan mm-hmm. in another little group. Then you got to go down a little bit further. Hutton, the intrigue in the SEC is the round robin of the next level. It's Tennessee and Florida. It's Kentucky taking on Tennessee. It's LSU. It's all of these teams in that next little layer, A&M and whoever they're playing. That's the fun of the sport because that's where actual parity exists. These other teams, they're playing a different sport. 
than, than some of the other teams in their conference. It, it's ridiculous how good Georgia is and how quickly Kirby Smart got there. I heard someone on Saturday say, you know, it even took Kirby Smart five years to, to win it all. And I'm thinking, it was talking about patience. You got to preach patience. It was about Nebraska. You got to be patient with the next coach. It took Kirby Smart five years to win a national title. I'm thinking, that's remarkable. <laughs> That he got Georgia to this Bama level, and even what they were better doing than along Bama. The way. Right. I mean, in that short amount of time. So. And their, their loss to not winning a second title in that span was to Bama. Yes. Who's the bar? It, it's it, it's it's insane how good of a job he's done at his alma mater, and it's not. And that's why it's not ending anytime soon. That, Kirby Smart is the reason why Jimbo Fisher should have much more pressure on him than what I am led to believe despite the $90 million buyout or whatever it is. Money is no object in College Station when it comes to this. That's why I think the win over Miami was massive for him. Because if you're comparing, like, who can be the next Georgia, it should be A&M. Saban's mentioning them in recruiting and in, in, in NIL, and he comes from the same cloth as Saban. And we, they have the head-to-head matchup where Jimbo has him and has the win the same way Kirby does. We don't see that either. That should be the parallel. So that's the bar that, that Jimbo's facing in College Station that I think that he cranked up a lot based on what Appalachian State did. Yeah, I mean, even you know their favorite this week against a top-10 team in Arkansas, they still have the defense to have a great season, to have the season they wanted. Yeah. Their offense is just so bad. But you're right. If you're looking at the divisions, and I know this is going to change with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, but A&M has a chance to be a problem for Bama, and that's why Nick Saban's saying this. I look at the East, though, with Georgia. I think Tennessee could be a nuisance to Georgia. I think Florida could be a nuisance. I don't think either one of those programs are going to be a problem for Georgia anytime soon, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think Tennessee's system could trip up a great team at some point, and they're recruiting to a level where they're going, not a problem, but a nuisance to someone like Georgia. Florida the same way. A&M's the one who could rise up and be something bigger than that. But of those coaches I just mentioned, Jimbo Fisher is doing the worst job on field. Of any of those programs trying to contend with Alabama and Georgia that's trying to get the requisite talent to do so, Jimbo Fisher has performed the worst in on-field coaching duties. Next to Josh Heupel, next to Billy Napier early on. You name the program that's, that's you would think is on the rise right now. I'm amazed at how bad his offense is. And, and that is his offense. Well, and let's also let, let's rewind a bit because Georgia started at this started winning at this clip without the reasoning for why we're not seeing it out at, at AM. The reason for AM is well, Jimbo Fisher's got to find his quarterback. It's time to bring in the five star, which they have, but it's time to see the five star on the field and develop, you know, from the high school five star to the college five star. Georgia's been winning at this clip prior to anything that we've seen this year from Stetson Bennett, right? The, the knock on Georgia was, man, they're winning in spite of him. They're winning with a game manager, fourth quarter, suffocate you offensively, best defense we've ever seen type level, and they're going to win titles based on the sheer five stars around the QB. That's not the case anymore, and there's no knock on Stetson Bennett because he's an amazing story. But it took him a while before he actually got the chance to play based on other four and five stars ahead of him that earned the right to play based on where they were recruited and the expectations that came with it compared to the walk-on that they asked to leave and then asked to come back. 
the whole storyline and dynamic is very similar to A&M in terms of that description of how A&M's trying to find the quarterback and they haven't been able to find it. They had Rattler leave. Uh, now they've, uh, uh, not Rattler, that Haynes King got hurt. Then they have uh, Calzada leave. Yep. Then Haynes King's back, but yet Max Johnson's the transfer. You know, the best quarterback we may not have even seen yet, and it just takes time for them to actually turn things over to him. And then you hit, yes. hit pay dirt with experience. Yes, but again, I'm not letting Jimbo off the hook here because he's got to do a better job of developing an offense that helps your quarterback out. It's not just well, the lack be, of talent at quarterback. It should be through the run. They've got a five-star guy waiting. I mean, he's got to do a better job yes. of helping. The, the whole structure is broken. Anyone who watches A&M offensively, I can't even tell what they're trying to do at times because organizationally, something is off. And that falls on the feet of the head coach first, especially the head coach who's in charge of your offense. Um, coming up, we'll, we'll switch gears and talk NFL, but just to recap what a question I had asked about Stetson Bennett and the Heisman odds. Right now, he's fourth in the country in Heisman odds at plus 1,200. Your leaders are still the same when we started, except Caleb Williams has climbed up the ladder, and he's been excellent too. USC, for, for USC. looks really good. They're, they look great. Uh, Stroud is currently your favorite at plus 200. Followed by Caleb Williams, then Bryce Young at plus 400. And then you get to Stetson Bennett, who's ahead of Dylan Gabriel, uh, J.J. McCarthy, Will Anderson, and others. Uh, Hendon Hooker, by the way, Chad, plus 4,000. That's a nice long shot. They need him to change those odds this well, week. Well, Hendon Hooker really hasn't been as good as he was a year ago mm. so far. I mean, he, he needs to pick it up. He's not been bad. Well, he's about to hit the national stage, though. He, he said, he's like, I have not performed up to my own expectations. So it's time to, to improve, even though Tennessee's offense looks, looks pretty good so far. Uh, almost 700 yards of offense against Akron on Saturday. Different beast, though, against the Gators. This is not the Akron Zips coming no. to town. Uh, coming up, we head to Buffalo. Koharski joins us, and we recap week two across the NFL with the Dolphins' comeback win over the Ravens. We'll discuss what the Cardinals did, uh, did in Vegas, where they hit the jackpot in the second half, and then overtime with the takeaway and return for a touchdown, game over. The Jags shut out the Colts. We were discussing earlier what this means for Indy, having laid an egg, and not just getting shut out by the team that kept you out of the postseason a year ago. And we give you an in-depth preview of Titans and Bills, Eagles and Vikings. All of that is straight ahead on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Monday Night Football tonight in Buffalo, the first of two kickoffs as the Bills host the Titans, followed by the Eagles and the Vikings. That's where Paul Koharski is on his way to Highmark Stadium as we speak. He joins us from his Uber. Traffic is a nightmare today there. Uh, that's no surprise based on the Ingress and egress, as they like to say in stadium lingo. Uh, big night this evening 
for the Titans on the road trying to avoid the 0-2 start. Meanwhile, the Bills, the heavy favorite in the AFC. PK, hope you're doing well. The struggle is real. <laughs> um, it is a nightmare getting in here. I, I gave myself so much time. Yeah. And I am not close. I'm not close. Look, look. I mean, does that look like a stadium to you? Are you at least you've got tailgaters? You're close enough to have people tailgating they, for the game. That's oh, part of the yeah, issue is they know how to tailgate uh, in, in Buffalo, uh, in, in northern New York, and uh, they do it well. At what point, Paul, do you get out of the car and walk? Like, what 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 distance well, are you right now from the stadium? Yeah, well, I, I maybe could have done it at a certain point, but I really was not in good enough proximity. And uh, my driver and I miscalculated. And uh, so we we got kind of close coming from one direction. And then we got sent all the way past. And now we're doing the approach from a completely other direction. This looks like pure process. misery to me. This is this is my oh, hell. Yeah. Being stuck I'm, in I'm, a, a ride share and you're stuck in I'm traffic. I, I would just get out and start. I could be three miles from the destination. Like, you know what? At least I'll be moving. I'm just going to start walking towards that destination. So, God be with uh, you, Paul. I'm in heaven. Hey, well, Paul. at least uh, I won't be sitting in the box for five hours. Well, that's that's also fair. Uh, coming up, we will go heavy into Titans and Bills. Um, but let, let's recap a bit just from your perspective. Chad and I went through it to start the show. Amazing day across the NFL where the Dolphins come back down 21 in the fourth quarter. They went on the road where Tua and the speed on the offense does wonders uh, this year with Mike McDaniel calling plays against a solid Baltimore defense. Meanwhile, the Cardinals had no business. They were on life support. Uh, I, I mentioned to, to Chad, I was listening on my drive to downtown uh, to, to, for, for TV obligations. I was listening to the Cardinals radio broadcast where they stopped themselves, where they the halftime adjustments is what they meant to say, and they said, can a coaching change? And they stopped and said, can a coaching adjustment <laughs> Help them in the second half, trailing 20 nothing. Then you have the Jets, trailing 30-17 to with under two minutes to play, coming back to win on the road in Cleveland. Phenomenal day with some comebacks, but also uh, some collapses, also with, with the Colts on the road in Jacksonville. Your overall takeaway of everything you took in yesterday. I signed up for a free trial of Fubo, which I have to cancel this week in order to get, and just a Fubo email just popped up on my screen. <laughs> um in order to be able to watch Red Zone, uh, as well worth the worth it for the afternoon. I thought Tua uh, of everybody, his stock uh, went up the most. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to be able to do what he did yesterday, but uh, just phenomenal work with that speed. Um, and reading what Mike McDaniel uh, told Peter King about just kind of effort. They had an effort play, and uh, we wanted to see how they dealt with adversity. Certainly dealt with it uh, fantastically well. Uh, Arizona did a great job, and that was a lot of Kyler Murray. But I still have some serious thoughts about Cliff Kingsbury. Yes. They, they on on the the two point conversion at the end that tied it. Um, they took a delay game after a timeout from the other side, and he was still so. So then you're changing the play, obviously, because you're pushed back. He's still frantically talking into the headset while Kyler Murray's going to the line of scrimmage. I, I mean, it did not look like a smooth operation that, I mean, you've got to get a play call in and be settled and calm. And they were not settled and calm. Uh, the only thing that bailed them out is that Kyler Murray is anything but settled and calm when he's taking 21 seconds and running 85 yards 
on the previous uh, two-point conversion. So um, I, I think they've got problems, even though that was a fantastic uh, comeback. And um, Jets, uh, I mean, that is such such an improbable uh, comeback. Mike Sando did an incredible thing. He compared it, uh, you know, there are seven consecutive decisions, they say, that have to be made wrong in a row for a plane to crash. It's a, a little harsh. But he went through seven consecutive decisions uh, in that Jets-Cleveland game that had to kind of go in the right direction um, for the Jets, starting with uh, Kareem Hunt running out of bounds with 2.02 left instead of letting those two seconds tick off. And look, I've not been a big proponent of guys not scoring, but if Chubb lays down on that first and 10 run where he scored with uh, from the 12, they could have run the clock down to about 21 seconds, hit a field goal to go up by by two scores um, with 21 seconds left. It would have been virtually impossible for them to lose. Cleveland didn't manage the end of that game very well. Since 2000, teams leading by 13 points with between two minutes and a minute 30 left were 201 and 0. And Cleveland has uh, chipped away at that record. Uh, there had been since that time 2,229 consecutive games played before we've had a team of uh, trailing by 13 or more come back in the final two minutes. I mean, it's it's been a long time, and Cleveland shows you why. And I'm with you. I at the at, I'm watching this game live. It was one of my upset picks, and I'm watching it going, man, uh, that that touchdown does it right. You have. Uh, the, the the touchdown run with under two minutes to play. I wasn't thinking at the time, oh, just slide down and burn clock. I'm thinking, oh, take the 31-17 lead, and then they missed the extra point. So that also screwed them on that too. Uh, well, the but, other thing, the onside kick. I mean, on- uh, Yeah, it was perfect. They lost the onside kick. Um, hit us up on Twitter, Outkick360. Uh, a couple of other takeaways. The, the Colts... And the abysmal performance, know, just knowing the backstory of the entire offseason discussion, it's been about how they played and performed in Jacksonville last year in the final game where everyone's pointing from the head coach to the owner to everyone's pointing to Carson Wentz as to why they lose that game and don't step up in a big moment. And to go back down in week two after tying the Texans, to go back down to Jacksonville in week two and to not score a point is every indication that I need of some off-season failures from Ballard to Reich on down. I'm not a quick trigger guy. You guys know that. But uh, I was thinking last night, if I'm Jim Ursay, I, I would have gone to bed seriously thinking about making a move today. And I would have woken up seriously thinking about making a move today. I mean, uh, division's wide open for him. Yeah. You know, odds are against the Titans tonight, but even if the Titans win uh, tonight up here, um, you know, where where is where is any suggestion of all of this hope? And even if they recover, for them to start this way, and they've got a, a bad game coming up this weekend, the Chiefs, I believe. Yes. For them to start this way after an offseason of upheaval and change and all of that, Matt Ryan looks horrible. That offensive line, which I've harped on, and, and people have to give Armando uh, trash about it when we talk this week, uh, you know, claims the offensive line is, is an advantage for them. The offensive line was horrible. 
um, against Jacksonville, which is not one of the best fronts in the league. I, I, I mean, Indianapolis couldn't have played worse yesterday, I don't think. And if, I mean, I'm not telling you any, anybody anything they don't know with a shutout. And and knowing that just how bad it's been, it's not like it's a close and, and you know there's a turnover, something doesn't bounce their way. Jacksonville has owned that they Jacksonville has won 15 home games, only 15 home games since 2018, and five of those 15 are to the Colts. So we know the history there. But how they've started the season after they finished with consecutive losses to the Raiders and Jags, and knowing that, knowing that they changed quarterbacks. Paul, they have gone into the fourth quarter of each of their first two games, trailing by a combined score of 44-3. to And that, that is just awful. That's not just, oh, they're, they're contenders for the AFC South, everything's good. They're not contenders for the AFC South right now, despite their 0-1-1 record, because of how bad their offense is. And where's Jonathan Taylor in, in all of this? I mean, they have to construct things um, with one of the three, four best running backs in the league. A lot of people would say the very best running back in the league, and they they start the season not having figured that out. That's an off-season problem spilling into the season. And, uh, you know, people are going to say, well, they're in better shape than a lot of teams at uh, 0-1-1, and but uh, sure doesn't feel like it. Paul, a team that's 0-2, Cincinnati. What did you make of them going to Dallas and losing to Cooper Rush in the Cowboys? Terrible. Uh, I mean, only two 0-2 teams in the AFC. Titans could join them tonight, the Bengals and the Raiders, who both come into the season with uh, super high hopes. And uh, Burrow under assault again. And, uh, you know, I was reading some analytics stuff that, uh, you know, there's a graph out that kind of maps how much of its quarterback's fault how much of it is the line's fault, and he falls into the category where a lot of it's his fault and a lot of it's the line's fault. They've got to figure that out quickly. I mean, he's got the weapons, and and they made made it work last year, but teams are coming at them in a way where they're just not getting away with the stuff that they got away with last year, um, and they've got to fix it and fix it fast, or um, you know, all of us would pick them to win the division and, and be a playoff team again are going to look foolish for not um, leaning the other way and buying the idea that uh, the team that loses the Super Bowl uh, doesn't make it back to the, to the playoffs. And, you know, you see him shaking. He's so pretty, so to speak. But when he's sitting there on the ground shaking his head or on the bench shaking his head, it it doesn't matter how good looking he is. It doesn't look good. Yeah. It's, I mean, they've on average, he is sacked this season every seven and a half or eight dropbacks per per pass rush. I mean, that it's it's 13 times to begin the season, six this past week against Dallas. They had no answer for Micah Parsons. And knowing, even when they possess the football and he's not getting sacked, they held the ball for 21 of the 30 minutes in the second half and scored just one touchdown. They have started really slow, and part of it's up front of the offensive line. They now have to pick up pick up the pace they will travel to new york this week they face the jets this sunday then they have back-to-back games against the dolphins and the ravens before they're on the road against new orleans so they're coming off of back-to-back losses where they got to face trubisky and rush as the two quarterbacks and now they're entering a stretch where it it is time to put up or shut up or the season's over before it gets going and it may be over anyway 
because I don't think uh, we see Burrow survive the season um, not on the uh, the healthy uh, roster. I think he ends up on IR with as many times as he's getting hit because he's been, he's been sacked 13 times. He's getting hit far more uh, options than just those dropbacks that I'm referencing. And it's the one area that they tried to upgrade, that they con- considerably upgraded on paper. Lyle Collins has been really bad for them, but he's not the only issue up front. It's It's something that I felt like they had a great uh, a great idea of what they were going to fix, and they they have not been able to do it. And it may be another example of a Super Bowl hangover that will be their own fault, knowing that this is the one area, the one area you've got to correct if you've got a franchise QB. And the only other quarterback in recent memory that has been sacked at this rate, uh, you got to go down to Houston and, and what we saw uh, from David Carr. Uh, the the sack rate that that currently Joe Burrow's facing in Cincinnati. They got to go Mixon and quick game uh, um, as as much as they can, and that that's probably easier than it sounds. Paul, uh, best of luck in the car. Uh, when we come back, we're going to switch gears, and then we will uh, reconnect with you hopefully in the next thirty minutes or so as you get into the stadium. We'll see. We'll see what your Uber driver got to be considering of. getting out of that car and walking to the stadium at this point because I have not even seen you move. Since you've been on with us. Uh, yeah. Look, here's, here's the front view, Chad. You see any stadium? Have you moved? Yeah, it looks like a. Yeah, I see the exit ramp. That's all I see. Yeah, my, my point being, I don't know what good it's doing if you're not going to move. I mean, I, I, I'm asking, how much have you moved since you've been on with us? Not a lot. <laughs> Could have been moving a lot more I, had you been walking. That's all I'm saying. Well, yeah, Had I been walking, I couldn't talk to you. You have uh, a couple of hours until kickoff, so maybe you'll get in by the time the fireworks start. I do want to join. You will join us uh, coming up in about 20 minutes. I'm going to go heavy into the matchups tonight because it's a, it's a pivotal game in the AFC for both teams. Yeah, Buffalo's on that. top. Buffalo's on top of the AFC, and this has been a team that has their number in recent years. This is a team in the Titans that has kept Buffalo from hosting playoff games. And from a Titans perspective, uh, it's – uh, it's too early to throw in the towel if they lose tonight, but it is a big game for a confidence level of a team that's in desperate need of some. So, Paul, hang in there, and uh, best of luck if you have to hoof it. Thank you. All Let's right. talk more. Yeah, we'll check in with Paul in about 20 minutes or so and get an update. And I'll give you my my setup, Chad, of this game. I was asked last night how I would set up the impact that this game has on both teams, the meaning of it as we go into October. Not necessarily what we'll look back on in January, but how it sets up both teams a couple of weeks from now, win or lose. We'll get into that when we come back. Some injuries of note from week two that could affect your fantasy football team or just your favorite team in general. And there's also a big suspension to discuss. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Notable injuries from week two as we continue on OutKick 360. Ravens wide receiver Devin Duvernay 
place in concussion protocol. He left the game for Baltimore yesterday against Miami. That's important. He, this game start. How good was this game? This game started with a 103-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Duvernay. Uh, the Giants, they lose Leonard Williams with a knee issue. He's been uh, ruled out uh, after yesterday's game against the Panthers. I uh, don't know the significance of that. When I say ruled out, ruled out for yesterday's game. He did not return. Cardinals and James Conner, he left the game with an ankle issue. That's a big loss for Arizona in their backfield. Jacoby Brissett said uh, post game that he was dealing with an ankle injury in his matchup against the Jets. Um, although he played throughout the fourth quarter on that bum ankle, and it should be okay for him moving forward. But again, he's their backup. That would leave Josh Dobbs if something can't happen with Brissett or something did flare up this week with Brissett on the ankle. And there's a short week for Cleveland as they're getting set to face Pittsburgh. The Broncos, Jerry Judy left with a shoulder injury. He did not return against the Texans for the Broncos in the first quarter. Uh, Pat Sertain also left the game with a shoulder issue. Dalton Schultz, the franchise tag tied in in Dallas. He missed the game-winning drive with uh, a knee issue. So we'll see how that progresses. Two suspensions of note. Mike Evans suspended for one game for the altercation yesterday where he's on the bench, turns around, comes back after Marshawn Lattimore was jawing with Bruce Arians and others. You find it funny how Bruce is roaming the sidelines, Bruce right? Bruce is not a coach, correct? I, he's not. It's he's an so advisor. It's so weird that he's there in full coach I, uh, regalia and on the sidelines. I pointed this out in the joint practice here in Nashville. It was just, he's... He's not invisible, which is usually how the quote-unquote advisor role is. He's, he's clearly... He's up in a suite somewhere during the game. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's down there doing more than just watching games. Um, nonetheless, there was jawing back and forth. There is a history between the two. Mike Evans has already been suspended a game, I believe back in 2017 when Jameis Winston was the quarterback for Tampa. Uh, point being... This is a recurring theme, and I think Evans is lucky it's only one game. It's a big game, however, where Tampa's depleted at wide receiver already, and they're getting face, they're getting set to face uh, Green Bay at home, their first home game this coming Sunday afternoon. That game is on Fox. The other suspension that's just been announced through the league, the NFL has suspended Chiefs linebacker Willie Gay for the next four games for violating the personal conduct policy. Uh, he's el eligible to return October 17th following the game against Buffalo, one of their best defenders. Uh, he's made some big plays uh, for them in the last several outings for Kansas City. Um, and, Chad, this stems from a, a February arrest, I believe, that's now coming down and uh, affecting his season. So, again, he's out immediately for the next four games. And the big injury yesterday happens with Trey Lance. Breaks his ankle, done for the season. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, finishes the half, throwing for over 100 yards and was very efficient. And San Francisco does what they do when Jimmy G's the quarterback. They win. Very workmanlike game from Jimmy Garoppolo. 13 for 21, 154, a touchdown, no interceptions, I think. Yeah, and there were struggles in the second half, but the majority of that, yeah, they straight went, off the bench. They win going away. Look, yeah. they've got the best backup quarterback situation in the league. You know, regardless of what you think about Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not going to win you many games. He won't lose them either for that San Francisco no, he, team. And they've got a good roster. So right. 
they're right back on a you know a miserable first week in the rain in Chicago, but oh, let's go right back further. on a playoff path. I think more than that, they they can win the division and be hosting games. Yeah, I mean they can be one of the. I mean, we we asked the question Armando last week: Who do you trust in the NFC? That that list is short, and knowing San Francisco's defense, knowing Debo Samuel and the the playmakers around George Kittle should be coming back soon. Knowing all that and knowing Jimmy Garoppolo wins games for them, 31-17, and 17, now 32-17, and 17, the record's on par with what Tannehill's done with, with the Titans. Tannehill's won one or two more games than Garoppolo in the same time frame. Point being, they're one of the favorites now in the NFC, as crazy as that sounds. It has worked its way back around to Jimmy G running this offense, getting the reins. I mean, he, did you notice he was smiling? Yeah. He's smiling as he's in the huddle thinking... Full circle, here He's we go. He's saying I'm back. Yeah. I'm back. So, obviously, the big injury, though, Trey Lance, the broken ankle you had mentioned. Kyle Shanahan today was questioned about the play call to run Trey Lance up the middle in this game. He did not like the third question about whether or not he regretted the play call. And here is Kyle Shanahan. Just because, I mean, you guys watch other teams in this league? And Buffalo does it all the time um, with their quarterbacks. Pretty normal play. Um, it's part of football, and it's unfortunate that he hurt his ankle on it. Hopefully you guys could hear that. The, the, uh, he said, do you watch other teams in this league? He said, Buffalo runs that same play all yeah. the time. Maybe you guys should watch more football. It's pretty common football play. And, and knowing, I mean, I, what, seeing that, that's part of Trey Lance's game, right? Yeah, that's one of the reasons he's in the game. No, no issues with it whatsoever uh, in that regard. And... And Kyle Shanahan had a good answer. He said, anytime someone gets a- uh, injured, I wish I didn't call the play. You know, you immediately regret the play call when you see someone get injured. But, and then he, he said, boy, you guys really want to keep asking about this. Huh? It's a pretty common play. Do you watch other teams? <laughs> Buffalo runs it all the, all the time. That's a play that we've had success on. That's, that's going to help us I be think, successful. Chad, I think you have to go back. In fact, I know. You have to go back to 2019. For the last time, Trey Lance has started and finished two consecutive games as the starting quarterback. He played in one game at quarterback due to COVID in 2020, same as Dylan Radins. Last year, he started two games, but separate and apart from each other. This year, started week one and was terrible and then got injured in the first quarter. It's been a while. And now it's another year where uh, it's not the same structure and storyline but it's the same confidence level now of what we would have in Jordan Love to Aaron Rodgers. And I do not want to compare. I'm not trying to compare the, 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 the talent level of Garoppolo and Rodgers. Just the circumstance where they're better off with the other guy, no matter how much time has been invested or price tag has been invested in the guy that's backing them up. No, I, I agree. And again, they, they find themselves with a soft landing because of not being able to find a trade partner for More Jimmy Garoppolo. More than that. And it's coming like a, to this conclusion. So now they look like geniuses for this like whole deal. It's like getting the, uh, you know, hitting the, whatever, the mushroom or whatever in Super Mario. You know, you get the, the bonus power. Yeah. The green it, mushroom? It's a, it's to a, go one up? I don't know. If Jacob were here, we could ask him. No, it's in the Mario uh, Brothers. It's <laughs> a, I play this game at times because I have the old school but, Nintendo. It's a green mushroom that gives okay. you the one up. It gives that's you an it. extra life. I mean, that's what this feels like. It feels like an extra boost for a San Francisco team that was going to have to win ugly. And now they still do that to some extent, but it's not... I mean, they, lo- they lost Elijah Mitchell. We've been down this road before last year, and they went on the road and won games in Green Bay, 
um, and then ultimately uh, fall out of the postseason. But, I mean, th- this puts them right back in the mix. It puts them right back in the thick of things in their division with uh, a Rams team that got back on track but nearly gave up a game to Atlanta yesterday. They were up 28-3, to and Atlanta nearly pulled the 28-3 comeback. I think the division's wide open. So, what really sucks about this whole deal is Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers made the decision that Trey Lance was the better option, and they wanted to move forward with him. So, we're going to have no real determination after this injury on whether or not that's the right move or what's going to be best. What we're going to have instead is... Just another referendum on Jimmy Garoppolo now moving forward, whatever happens with their season. Well, but you see, what I'm saying there's no real basis of comparison between the two because if Jimmy Garoppolo stays healthy, then suddenly it's well, he made it through the season, Trey Lance didn't. But if this happens, you almost want to see more of a body of work from Trey Lance at some well, point. But, and we're still going to have no idea what they've done, though, with Garoppolo taking the reduction in salary. Keep in mind, there is a no trade clause, and they also there is a no tag clause, so they can't franchise tag him after this season either. He is a free agent after this year. He would have been contractually anyway had he not taken the reduction in money. Now he's getting the bonus money for games started. Davey Hudson told us it was like three hundred fifty grand, reminding us of that per win, um, and it's more than just he gets bonus just based on play, playing time, starting games. And he gets to cash in with another team, and he gets to prove it now. Albeit he's been on his own all offseason, practicing on his own, working out on his own in the team facility. But he comes into a structure that he already knows with playmakers around him that he knows well, and an offensive system that he's won in. This coming from our buddy Barrett Salee. Did you know Texas A&M has fewer red zone visits than Iowa this season? Three to four. Wow. There's a stat for you. Stats on Monday Night Football next on Outkick 360.